0: Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. So today I want to talk about, well here we go, using apples and marshmallows. I want to talk to you today about probably the final but the most important or definitely a fundamental character of the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. It is the last in the list. It's probably the most forgotten one, but I think it is one of the most essential elements. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a really um, important aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. In the late 1960s, a guy by the name of Walter Mischel did what's known as the Marshmallow Test. Who's ever heard of the Marshmallow Test? No. Some of you, yes, you do. Some of you will remember this. This was a famous test done in the 1960s, and uh, Walter Mitchell tested about 600 preschool children. They were aged four to six, and it was a very simple exercise. He would put the child, four, five, six-year-olds, in a room, and he would give them one marshmallow on a plate. And he would put the marshmallow on a plate, place it in front of the child, and he would say this to them. He'd say, you can have one marshmallow now, but if you wait... I'll come back and I'll give you two marshmallows. Simple. One marshmallow now, two when I come back in the room. Easy enough for every four, five, and six year old to, to realise. Well, what happened was um, that most children would try and wait. In fact, it was a very small percentage that just went, you know what, forget playing this game. I'll just eat the marshmallow. There were some that did that. There were a small percentage. Most of them tried to wait. If you go online, you see some lovely pictures here. If you go online, some great uh, videos of children trying to hold off, and you see them just sort of looking at it longingly, stroking the marshmallow, and then they take a little lick. I mean, once they've taken a lick or a nibble, that's it, they are done for. Most children succumbed. Only a third managed the whole 15 minutes just looking at a marshmallow. And those who were successful, they came and they were given a second marshmallow, and they were very grateful, if you like marshmallows. And there we go. They had one marshmallow now, two if they could wait. The interesting thing about the experiment is it's now almost 50 years since the experiment took place. And uh, Walter Mischel has written a book about this quite recently, and they went back and studied the children who had actually taken part in that test. Some 50 years later, they have assessed those children, those that grabbed the marshmallow as soon as the person left the room, those that tried desperately to wait, about two-thirds of them, and then about the third of people who managed to wait the whole 15 minutes. And what they found, those who could hold off were much more successful in life. They got better grades at school, they were more successful in their jobs. Because of their early experience, they always had some sort of natural ability to have self-control. Delayed gratification, they were able to control their their impulses. Whereas the children that just grabbed the marshmallow and thought, stuff this game, not great things happened to many of them. Many of them actually ended up in prison in very awkward situations because of their impulse. There's something about self-control which is very powerful. And so I want to talk to you today about this idea of being self-controlled. So we can read for the last time from Galatians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, if you can turn that on or open it up, it's up to you. It's on the screen in front of you. Galatians 5, we're going to start from verse 16. And I know this is quite a lengthy chapter, but I think this is really important that we read this and understand what's going on. Because Paul, the writer here to the church in Galatia, is saying to them there are two ways of doing life. There are two approaches, and self-control is the difference between one way or another way. So he says this: I say, Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, your natural self. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. The spirit Gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. He's based on there are two things here. There's either the natural and there's a spiritual. And you are making a choice whether you follow the guiding of the spirit or your own personal desires. And carries on in verse 19. When you follow these desires of your sinful nature, your selfish desires, the results are clear sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, anyone feeling awkward at this moment in time, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've before, that anyone living that sort of life would not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying if you follow yourself, desires, what you want, that's what will happen. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness as well as self-control. There is no law against these things. And what he's saying there, this is about law, this is about freedom by moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross they said, I want, don't want what I want. I want what God wants. And they've nailed them on the cross along with Christ. He says, "So, so live, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This is a really important message for us all to hear today. The idea that there is the spirit world and there is the natural world. And self-control sits right in the middle of those. Let's just pray for a moment, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us be people of the Spirit, people that follow your ways. Lord, we're sorry, we we've allowed self to rule. Lord, help us to regain some of our self-control as we learn about your word today. Amen. Amen. I don't know whether you're sitting here today thinking, you know what? I've got this self-control thing nailed. Whether you go, I can control myself easily. I can handle, as you say, I can handle anything but temptation. You can manage yourself. Maybe you're good at that. Maybe this is the thing you're really comfortable with doing. I've got to be honest with you. I probably can't say that. I, in fact, even in preparing for this talk, I'm on my computer. And there's a great website I often use when I'm preparing for talks. It's called BibleGateway.com. You can download those different types of Bible versions. And it's a really useful place to go and get information about the Word of God. And I I go on this website. And as I'm on this website, I'm just taking a verse to put it into my notes. And I see an image on the side of the screen. It's an image of, of this beautiful, of this gorgeous, slim, fitting shirt. And I thought to myself, I like that shirt. I'll just click on the link. And then I end up in this clothing shop with beautiful shirts. And I'm looking for one in my own size. Oh, that's a nice sh-. And then I stop. And I think, I'm meant to be doing a talk on self-control. This is not good, is it? How does that work? And this week, I was, in this, I was on this online meeting. I'm, a, I'm a, a, a trustee of a charity called Links International, and I'm, I'm having this board meeting online. And there's like eight or nine of us online. And we're on computer screens. Have you ever had this experience, you know what it's like. And, and I'm online, and I'm trying to concentrate on the meeting. But when no one can see what you're doing, to do a little sneaky email or two, And trying, I am listening and nodding and trying to nod and have a little text with maybe another member of the board. We have a little kind of bit of banter text going on and uh, we were just kind of a bit of fun. I was getting easily distracted. I don't know, no one else in this room has that problem. It's just me. But I was going, how can I stay focused better? Do you ever get distracted? Do you ever go into a room looking for something and forget why you went to that room? Do you ever go out of the room and go back in again? Because that someone helps. (laughs) Do you ever have this thing where you go, I'm going to have a conversation with somebody about something. You start the conversation and you forget why you even started to talk to them in the first place. It's a nice conversation, but there was something I was meant to talk to them about. Or I, My worst thing is um, I will pick up my mobile phone and I'll get my smartphone because I want to book an appointment with somebody. i am may, maybe even talking. and I'll say, oh, let's book that in the diary now. And I'll open up my, my phone or I want to message somebody and suddenly I see those little round blobs called notifications. And I think, oh, I have a notification. Someone has mentioned me on Facebook or social media. I must go check. The person I'm talking to is still standing here. And I'm like, oh, little red blobs. Quickly, get rid of them all. Oh, I got so distracted. So do you know what I did? I got rid of all my notifications. I turned them all off. Like, you know what? This is unhelpful. It's distracting. I would get rid of all. I went into settings. I turned them all off. Over the next few days, I missed quite a lot of phone calls. People texted me, I didn't even know. People messaged me, people rang me, I had no idea. I thought maybe some of those notifications are useful. But I can get easily distracted. I can sometimes miss what I'm meant to be doing. Self-control is so important. It's in this list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of those things, I mean, love, joy, and peace gets all the profile, doesn't it? I mean, they get all the mentions. And as you further go further on the list, as Neil mentioned last week, they get, they get more challenging And often forgotten. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, meekness, really? self control if I have to. It's at the end, it's like an afterthought. Why is it, A, why is it even in the list of the fruit of the Spirit anyway? Because if it's self-control, why do we need the Spirit? You ever thought that? But also, why, why is it the last one? And why is it so forgotten, overlooked? Maybe, my theory is maybe it's because everyone feels like, I'm not very good at it. If I start talking about it, people assume I'm an expert. And so we don't want us to assume anything. We just like maybe to overlook that one. When it comes to being rooted in Christ, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, self-control is one of the most important fruits. I don't know why we don't talk about it more. You know, the fruits of the Spirit often come up in all kinds of scenarios. Um, I've had the pleasure of speaking at um, many weddings. I'm doing another one this summer. And, you know, when you speak at weddings, you tend to get asked to speak on 1 Corinthians 13. Love. That's the standard. We do love. We we maybe talk about joy. We may talk about faithfulness. We talk about all those things. We don't talk about self-control to people who are getting married. But it's in the Bible. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7. It says this, if you go to, he's, he's basically writing to married people. And, and the church there in Corinthians have said, help us out here. We want some advice about uh, sexual um, intimacy between husband and wife and whether that's something they should ever abstain from. And he says this, Paul says, this: Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. That's the reason why we stop having sex, people, for that reason alone. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Basically, the message version would probably say, if you're married, having sex regularly is really important. If you don't, watch out, because temptation comes along, and your self-control might be weak. Paul is saying, advising there to people who are married, this is really important. Remember, self-control. But I've never heard anyone talk about that at a wedding. I mean, you're all looking pretty awkward and uncomfortable as it is. Especially my, my kids who are sitting here. Imagine that at a wedding. Seriously, we're going to have the... Oh, no, this is awkward. Or maybe... Um, you know, we have regularly, we have our church leaders meetings. So regularly as a church leadership team, we meet every other week. We meet together and we talk about the church. We talk about the plan of where we're trying to go. We talk about people in the church we're caring for and trying to look after. We talk about different fruits. We think about how can we be kind to people, how we can we show I love to one another. You know, we talk about those different things. But we never talk about self-control in leadership meetings, which is funny because it actually it's in the, um, it's in the Bible, 1 Timothy 3, this is a trustworthy saying, if someone aspires to be a church leader, they desire an honourable position. So they must be um, someone whose life is above reproach, faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control. Self-control is in the list for recommended leadership qualities. Live wisely, have a good reputation, enjoy having guests in his home, and be able to teach. When we're wanting to be leaders, we need to have good self-control. Or sometimes I have this situation, I'm I'm sitting there with somebody who's having a pastoral issue, shall we say, a bit of a struggle. They are falling out with somebody else in the church, or they have some problems within their family settings, or there are some some disagreements going on. And we sit and we talk to people about trying to bring peace into a situation, that's a good fruit, or try and be loving, or be kind. But we rarely talk to people who are facing struggles about self Control. But it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. If you turn to uh, 2 Peter 1, uh, verses 5 to 7, he says this supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self control. Self control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, you're getting there in the end, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. If you want to be a community that loves everybody, one of the key ingredients is self-control. But I don't remember the time I sat with somebody who was facing some relational challenges and I said, you need more self-control. I might have thought it, but I try and be a nice person most of the time and I think, oh, that's really awkward to say something. Maybe there's something about the way you've behaved. Maybe you need to take more control over the things you've said or things you've done. Why is it that self-control has such a low profile in what we do as followers of Christ? You know, we sing our worship songs. It was great this morning. Thank you, Jim and the worship team. You know, we had this great time of singing our songs around faithfulness this morning. Great song. We sing about how much, you know, we love God. We talk about joy in our worship songs. I have never, ever, ever, I'm not sure if I want to. I've never heard a song all about self-control, have you? Imagine that one on the Sunday. What right, else we're singing, we want more self-control. It's not really going to be the number one song, is it? Ah, oh, we'd rather sing the other songs. The other eight fruits of the spirit seem much more enjoyable. But the thing about this is, when when you choose to follow Jesus, there isn't like some switch that takes place where suddenly you become more loving, more full of joy, more full of peace, more full of patience, more full of kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentle, uh, gentleness or meekness. It doesn't just happen. There isn't this kind of like magic moment. You you do the, the sinner's praise. God, I'm really sorry. I've messed up. Please come into my life. I want to follow you the rest of my days. That moment is the moment where there is a spiritual transaction, but it's not a switch that gets flipped and suddenly you're all sorted. The fruits are fully loaded. I believe it's the potential that when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God places within you potential to be more loving, potential to be kind, potential to be more patient, potential to have greater self-control. It's like, it's my image in my head it help, uh, might help some of you, it's like the, the, the spirit has placed nine seeds in your life that could become incredible fruit, but they're just seeds. Now, this is where the apple comes in. See, in 2 Peter 1, um, the Bible says that God has given each one of us everything we need. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. He's given us all that we need. He puts it within us like potential, like seeds. Now, you see, this apple, here's my little prop for the day. This apple has all the potential to grow an orchard. Agreed or disagree? has all the potential... Inside, this is where it's live on stage. Inside this, this could go very long. So it's some sort of magic trick. Inside's an ace of spades. No, inside. Hopefully, hopefully. There is some this is where you find out this hasn't got any seeds in it. There we go. Inside the apple, if I can find them. Oh, I can't find Wow, this is an apple with no seeds in it. I should have checked that for how does that even work? Is that even possible? Anyone cleverer than me know about these things? Wow, well okay, well the other apples, maybe it's the other half, I hope so. Or oh, this apple's really not much good to me. No, okay. Oh, that's awkward. Anyway, you get the message, I think. That's what it should look like. Anyway, I had this idea that when you, to grow an apple tree, you just plant an apple in the ground and an apple tree pops up. Is that not true? See, here's my logic. I'm one of these people, now don't judge me here, but I'm one of these people that I was brought up in the country, and, and I was always told it was okay if you're eating an apple, when you finish the apple, to throw it out the window of the car. Yeah. So, hands up if that's okay. Hands up if you think that's not okay, that's littering. Oh, now you're feeling uncomfortable. But some of you really inside, you think, I'm not sure that's a really good thing to do, Sim. <laughs> but I used to just throw out the window of the car. But here's the thing, I was always very surprised that I didn't drive down the road the next week or year. Where were they, all the apple trees by the side of the road? Why is not all of our roadways around England covered in apple trees? And I discovered something. That you can't just plant an apple in the ground to get an apple, an apple tree. It doesn't work. Apparently, what you have to do, and I looked this up, it must be true, it's on the internet. And I looked it up, and apparently what you have to do, you have to cut open a better apple than that one. And you have to, it's a shame, I like Braeburn apples, but that's not a very good one. So you open it up, you get the seeds, you clean the seeds out. And then you have to place them in a pot, and you have to water them regularly. You have to germinate, you have to wait for the little kind of shoots to come out the top. And then when you've got the shoots, you can then repot it, you plant it outside, you water it regularly, you care for it. And you care for it regularly, you nurture the seed, the potential. And after six to ten years, you might get an apple. Who's going to go home this afternoon and start getting some apples and start planting? In six to ten years, if you look after the seed of an apple you will grow an apple tree. My point is this. The apple doesn't just grow into an apple tree through the natural environment. It needs some support as well. It needs an element of controlled environment. It still needs the sun. It still needs the rain. It still needs the soil. But for it to grow strong and healthy, it needs to be cared for, to be developed, to be nurtured. In the same way, That we do the same thing with these seeds of the fruit of the Spirit. That we take these very delicate seeds of potential love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. We, We plant them and we care for them. And that requires self control. That requires deliberate habits being formed, disciplines taking place. We don't just go, you know what, it'll all be okay. We'll just throw the apple out of the window and hope for the best. No, we deliberately go, I'm going I'm to work at being more loving. I'm going to deliberately work on my patience with the way I get frustrated so quickly with my children. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work at being kind. I'm going to go out of my way to find people to be kind to. It takes self-control. God will test us and shape us. He wants us to grow stronger and healthier. If you're only rooted, God wants to, he wants to shape you into becoming a stronger you. James 1 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. Perseverance must finish its work. Then you become pure and complete, not lacking in anything. That's that's, wow, God wants us to grow strong. But it will take you through some times of testing and shaping that require self-control. Um, I will do a little, uh, little plug. Last week, um, got a bit of apple juice on it. But last week, Neil mentioned I've been involved in writing a book. Here it is. We have a proper real book. Ta-da! It's finished. came out with the publishers. And it gets, yes. <laughs> and it's available at all good bookstores, I think. Probably just... Uh, Spring Harvest, probably, Uh, but this is available from next week, and it's a book on the book of James. It's a story about the book of James, and it's all about discipleship, and in there I write a whole section around the importance of self-control, and especially importance where James chapter 3 talks about the importance of taming the tongue. He talks about taking control of this muscle called the tongue, that the words we use are really powerful. He, he, he use this example of, you know, like a, a rudder on a ship is a small thing, but it turns a big ship. The, the bit in a horse's mouth is a small thing, but it makes the horse turn. A spark is a small thing, but it makes a big forest fire. The tongue is a small thing, but when it's out of control, it can be very dangerous. And maybe if James wrote that book now, he would have included the mobile phone. One tweet. And you, can, you literally have wars over one tweet. One comment from somebody And you can have all kinds of things taken off. We've got to be under self-control. We've got to be careful what we do. Self-control is is what stops a small thought from becoming a regrettable action, a small thought, a momentary idea. Self-control is the filter that says, that's not a good idea. Poor self-control just does it and then thinks about it afterwards, a regrettable action. It amazed me how many times I see people say things online that they would never say face to face with someone else. They make comments on people's threads and feeds on their Facebook and their Twitter feed, whatever. People have lost jobs over foolish comments. They've lost respect. They've lost credibility. All because of an impulsive response, because of a lack of self-control. A lack of a filter says, before I do that, let me just assess, what would God say? What does the spirit say before I make that move? You know, I believe that lack of self-control, I don't want to get off on some sort of hobby horse here, but I believe it is the reason why our society is often in such a mess. People make a poor choice. I remember last year I was at a conference and I heard a senior police officer said, one of the biggest issues is people drinking. Because when people drink, they make poor choices. And they do things they would never normally do. But because they've had a couple of beers, they get a bit silly in front of their mates. Poor self-control. Self-control says, you know what, I've had enough, I'll stop. Self-control says, I've had too much, I won't drive. Self-control says, I'm not going to go and hang out with those people because I know what happens when I hang out with that sort of person. Self-control says, I won't look at that, I won't read that, I won't spend time doing that. Self-control says no to things that are not good for us. And yet so many people ignore the impulse of self. Why? Because one of the challenges is we live in this selfie-obsessed culture. Selfie is like the new word. It's actually in the dictionary now, believe it or not. But the idea that people can focus on themselves, that, that self is more important than anything else around you. People even talk about this. People say things like, just think about number one. You ever heard that phrase? Just think about number one. You know, you've got to look after yourself first. Look after yourself. If you're not happy, then change things because it's got to be about you being happy. And I remember last year, I was very sad to hear of a, a, another <laughs> celebrity marriage that was split up. They married for 20 years, and after 20 years of marriage, they, they, they separated. And the, the, the lady said these words. She said, I've left my marriage because after 20 years of caring for my husband and my children... It's time for me, and time to have some fun. And I've got some issues with that. First of all, who said that marriage and fun can't go together? All right, really? But the idea that me is more important than others. That's where self-control goes wrong, where self is not under control. Self is going, you know, self is the most important thing. When self becomes the most important thing, it becomes ugly. It's egotistical. To be self-centered, self-absorbed is not pleasant. Preferring others to yourself is always one of the most powerful things you can do. Powerful ways to live. You know, the story of that tragic story this week of that French gendarme who who gave his life, really did, for someone else. He he stepped in and said, I will be the hostage. You could be rescued. And he took that person's place. What a horrendous story, tragic story. What a brave individual who, for me, described what it means to live for others, not for yourself. Living for yourself says, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to back away from that because I want to live. I want to survive. It's about me. But when we live for others, it changes our thinking. Romans 12 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, to sacrifice self, to kill self. That's what Paul is saying here in these words here, to kill yourself, because that's pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. If you want to be a worshiper to God, you say no to self and yes to God. That's what he's writing here. He said, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you're able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, you'll think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Don't think of yourself higher than you ought. Listen, each one of you are valuable and important and have something to contribute. But you are never more important than other people. Other people are always more important. Never let self get out of control. Jesus said this in in John 12, sorry, he said this, his words, whoever loves his life will lose it. We're called to love others, not love what we've got for ourselves. To sacrifice self, Romans 12 says. And if we could only control self, if it was only that easy, if we could control self, control our words, control our actions, many tragic and easily avoidable incidents would never take place. If we can control what we looked at, what we said, what we thought even. Self-control. I want us as Freedom Church to be courageous disciples who choose to follow Jesus, even when it hurts ourselves, but it is better for others. I want people to be self-sacrificing, not self-centred. I wonder what difference it would make if we started to learn to pause for a moment you know take a breath as we teach our children take a breath before we do something we regret regret before we press send on that email just take a little breath or maybe just leave it for the night and look at it again in the morning it's amazing how many of those emails i don't ever send the next day let's think about that let's get the worship team up to give you all a bit of hope come on jim just want to read to you just one more verse. This is from 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 24-27 from the NIV. And this is, again, Paul, the writer to the church in Corinth. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Everyone runs. But only one person gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes in strict training. He's talking about like Olympic games. Those who go into some sort of athletic sport, they go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. All right? He's talking about they, they, will, they will get a medal, they will get something, but that's not what it's about. But we do what we do to get a crown that will last forever. He says these words. Therefore, I do not run like someone beating, sorry, like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. It's a great image there, isn't it? He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. What he's saying is I'm I'm not going to live life aimlessly. I'm not just going to hope for the best. I'm going to say to myself and I'm going to choose to deliberately make sure that I am building up the seeds of potential in my life, that I'm going to choose self-control so that I will see great fruit. You know, we have control over everything we do. We may not have control over all the outcomes or what other people do to us, but we do have control over what we do. Some was a conference a couple of weeks ago, the Cap conference, and there was a guy there, Matt Barlow, who came to church a couple of years ago, talking about I'm uh, sorry, faithfulness and fruitfulness. And he said this word here. He said, "You have control over your faithfulness, but very little over your fruitfulness." Faithfulness is about self-control. It's about choosing to do something, choosing to make to do something an action, choosing to prefer the other to yourself. The fruitfulness, we leave that to the Spirit. But we do what we can do and ask God to bring his fruit. The sad thing is, and the honest truth each one of us needs to admit to, is we are responsible for our own actions. We like to blame others. It's always easier to blame others. But everywhere you go, there you are. And we need to take responsibility for the actions we do. We take some self-control. I would argue it's what, it is probably one of the most important gifts of Spirit's probably the most, it's probably one of the most overlooked. Can we be more under control so that we can be more fruitful? I hope after learning about these fruits of the Spirit together as Freedom Church, I I hope that we are more full of love, that we would love others, that we are people that bring joy into situations, that we are people of peace when there is discomfort, that we are people that would be the first to be patient with one another. That as Freedom Church, we would be kind and good. That as was talked about last week, that we talked about being gentle. That we'd be faithful to one another in our relationships. That idea about faithfulness and and then meekness, as as Neil said last week, about being power, but under control, self-control. I would love it if we as a church could be known for a church where there is such great self-control, such great fruit of the Spirit that the seeds of potential invest in each one of us have developed to be the most beautiful, better than m and quality fruit. There's something amazing. They'll go, wow, people who go to that church are always so loving, so kind, so generous, so, so full of joy and peace and patience and, and faithfulness and goodness and kindness because of the self-control we work to. I want to encourage you to stand. I want to pray a prayer I based this on Colossians 1. I've, I've just changed a couple of words to make it work for us. Um, bear with me, theologians. But I want to read this over us today. This is for us as a congregation, us as a community. I want to read these words to each one of us. May the way we live always honor and please God. That our lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while getting and growing to know God better and better. May we be strengthened with all his glorious spirit-filled power. So we'll have all the endurance and patience we need. Always filled with joy and always thanking Mm -hmm. God our Father for life that we have. Amen. Amen. I pray, my personal prayer for each one of you is that we will develop self-control so that our spirit seed potential bears great fruit. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.